Hello again, everyone, and thank you, worship team. If you have a Bible or device, I'd invite you to turn to James chapter 4, and we'll be there in just a few moments. We are in the last week of our six-week series on relationships. God made all of us for relationships. God wants to work in our relationships. God wants to work in you so that you will have better relationships, deeper relationships, and so that's what we've been looking at. Now, James had a relationship with his brother Jesus, uh, but during the earthly ministry of Jesus, James was not that close. He didn't really follow Jesus. He didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. And it was after the resurrection, and Paul tells us this, that Jesus appeared to James. And James then would follow Jesus as he opens his letter. He says, I'm not, he doesn't identify himself as the brother of Jesus, but as a servant of the Lord Jesus. So James, he then writes to other followers of Jesus this letter on having a faith in God, a faith in Jesus, and what that looks like in everyday life. And he touches on a number of areas, and the area we're looking at is in the area of our relationships. If, in other words, if you have a relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ, it's going to change how you do relationships with people. So we looked at first, if you have a relationship with Jesus, he calls you to go to relationships seeking first to understand, then to be understood. In any relationship, people want to be heard and understood. And instead of going to that relationship saying, you listen to me, I want you to understand me, you go with a different posture, Lord. Help me to hear them and understand them. So we looked at that week one. Week two, we looked at that if I have a relationship with Jesus, when I go to relationships, I do see needs, especially widows and orphans and those uh, maybe on the margins, and I seek to meet those needs. And then we looked at if I have a relationship with Jesus, it affects how I see everybody, that everybody is made in the image of God, so I'm not prejudiced. I don't favor certain people, but I treat all people with a certain dignity. And then in week four, we looked at if I have a relationship with Jesus, he affects how I talk to other people, that I don't curse other people, that I don't use destructive language with other people. My language, my speech, my words are compatible with the one I'm following. And then last week, we looked at conflict. In our, uh, as we journey through life, we will all have conflict in relationships. But with Jesus, we work through that conflict. We're seeking harmony in relationships. So you're saying, Lord, rather than my will be done, what is your will? How should I act or how, what should I say in this particular conflict? And then today, as we close our series, we are looking at mistreating people at taking advantage of people, of using people. And James is going to talk to us about why that's not a good idea. And then he's going to also tell us that if we have been mistreated or we are being mistreated, how we're to respond as followers of Jesus. What does Jesus want us to do? And so today as we uh, look into God's Word, may you understand, may you embrace these two attributes of God. As you journey through life in your relationship with him, you're mindful of these two attributes because it's going to affect how you treat people so that you can treat them the way that they are called, called to be treated. So James chapter 4, we're going to begin there at the end of the chapter and then into chapter 5. And the first attribute of God, the first thing that you need to be mindful as you journey through life, is that God is 
sovereign. God is in control of all things, not just on a macro level, but on a micro level as well. Your life, there's nothing that happens to you outside of his control, and that will affect how you do relationships. So let's begin James chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. James writes, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So is James not a planner? Do you know anybody that's not a planner? Just like last minute? Right? I have a family member. I guess I should, I, this, was, this was in my notes, but I like to plan, and then I have a family member that doesn't like to plan at all, like just my extended family, right? And so is James saying, hey, all you planners, put away your Google calendars? Is James saying to us, hey, don't, don't try to make money? It's not a good thing? Not at all. If we look at Scripture, we're called to work hard, we're called to make plans and make money. We're called to be industrious. We're called, if you have the gift of an entrepreneurial spirit, to use it for the glory of God. He's not speaking against any of that. What he is speaking against, and what the problem is, is that we're doing all of this without God. We're doing it as if we're in control. I'm going to go here and start a business. I'm going to do this. I'm going to take this holiday. I'm going to, you know... Um, uh, what's another plan we make? I'm going to visit grandma. Okay, there we go. We're doing it without being mindful that ultimately it's God that's in control, not us. That's the way the world works, right? Running our own lives. But we as Christians can become what we call functional atheists, where we're just like the other people, just living without any thought of God. And James says, wait, just time out here. Let's look at the big picture. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. Not only can you not control tomorrow, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Your plans, you need to put them in pencil. Think of the pandemic. Think of a snowstorm. Think of things outside of your control, a tornado, right? You're not in control. You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. And then he, he asks the bigger question, what is your life? Like, like, who are you in the grand scheme of things? And the answer, you're a mist. And we can all envision a mist, feel a mist. It's there, and then all of a sudden it's gone. Okay, just maybe look to the people to your left. You're a mist, you're a mist. Oh, you're a mist. People are right. You're a mist, you're a mist. Friends, do you understand that today? Okay, apart from God... Apart from God, you're just a mist, right? A few, a couple hundred years from now, a few generations, nobody's going to remember that you lived. Nobody's going to care that you lived. Could you get the right picture? By the way, this is a wonderful segue into our series that begins next week in the book of Ecclesiastes where we're looking at the big questions of life. And friends, before you leave here really despondent, like, oh, my life doesn't matter. Everything's meaningless. No, it's just actually the opposite. Without God, you're a mist. But with God, oh, your life has purpose. Everything matters in your life. You have hope and, and joy, and there's so much to look forward to. But James just reminds us, okay, when we're making our plans and we're carrying on business, 
when we're in relationships, we're always mindful that the Lord's the one ultimately in control, that we're not deluded believing that we're in control. James continues, verse 15, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Notice the phrase, the Lord's will, from Genesis to Revelation, you will find God's sovereignty right throughout the Bible, throughout his story. When you look in your Bibles, you'll find kind of three different wills. First, there's God's moral will. This is who I am. This is how you're to live. You'll find God's permissive will, uh, because I've made you as human beings with freedom of will. Um, I'm going to allow you to do certain things, even things that are wrong. And then there's God's decreed will, which will come, these, those things which will come to pass. And we call it his sovereign will. And uh, I think it's Isaiah that says, no one will be able to, no one can thwart the hand of God, his sovereign will. So as we go through life, we realize God has made certain decrees and what he says will come to pass. And so in our lives, rather than saying, here's what I'm doing with my life, we're saying, okay, Lord, if it's your will, I'd like to do this, or I'd like to do that, or I think you're calling me to do this other thing. And by the way, God's sovereignty brings so much comfort. It was one of the two attributes of God that really changed my life because I used to worry like crazy, but now I realize not only the duration of my life is in his hands, but the direction of my life is in his hands. I can tell you right now, I am not going to die a day too soon or a day too late. As David says in Psalm 139, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So if I get a pink slip, that's in school, but if I get a slip from the doctor, here's your health, yeah, I'm going to be shocked by that. I'm going to be concerned, but I take comfort in knowing that God ultimately has me. Same thing, anything that happens to me, I process it. God, you're in control of my life. You've got me. Not just the duration, but the direction. Nothing crosses God's desk apart from him signing off on it. He doesn't cause all things. He causes some things, but he allows all things. He is the one that is in control, the Lord's will. So be reminded today, because it's so easy to forget, that each day you have is a gift from God. Anybody today, you woke up today and you said, God, thank you for this day. Tomorrow, thank you for this day. Our tomorrow is not a guarantee. Ultimately, he's in charge. He gives us the gift of a day and then another day. And our gifts, our abilities to carry on business, to make plans, to make money, those are all gifts from him. We're contingent creatures in a contingent universe. In other words, you're dependent on the sun You're dependent on the moon. You're dependent on the air. You're dependent on the water. These things that God has created, without those things, you wouldn't be alive. You're a contingent creature in a contingent universe. There's only one who is not a contingent creature, and that's the Lord. So James says, if it's the Lord's will. So you're constantly, as you go through life, recognizing his sovereignty. And then James goes on to verses 16 and 17. As it is, okay, You think you're in control. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So not only am I not proud, 
but I'm humbly walking under the sovereign hand of God. But I realize, too, what's called sins of omission. Notice there, sins of commission are where we do something that is against God, that's wrong. We commit something. But sins of omission are those times where God, through his Holy Spirit, prompts us to do something. We know we should do it. He's called us to do it, and we don't do it. Now, that doesn't mean we go through life stressed out about every time uh, there's a need, but what James is saying, as you go through life, God's sovereign, and if he puts something in, in your way, you can do that. So God is sovereign. He's in control of your life. Second attribute is God is just. God is just. Ver- chapter 5, verse 1. Here's another thing that you need to be mindful of about God as you go through life. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Anybody have a coffee mug with that verse on it? (laughs) Embroidered pillow, right? It's not a very popular verse. He's saying, you rich people, weep and wail because of the future that awaits you. Now, is, does James have an axe to grind against rich people? Not at all. His axe to grind is against rich people who have hoarded their wealth and have cheated others to get that wealth. James is very similar. If you look in the Bible at Amos and the other prophets, and you'll see a lot of judgments there. You can't just mistreat people and get away with it. God is just. You need to realize a day of misery is coming. You need to repent. You need to stop doing that. So James writes, now listen, and by the way, he's not writing to Christians. How do we know that? He doesn't call them brothers or sisters. There's no call for them to repent. He's talking about rich people that are using people that aren't followers of Jesus. And he refers actually to those rich people earlier in the letter in chapter 2 where he says, do you remember when he said, don't show favoritism? When a rich person and a poor person come into your midst, why are you captivated by the rich person and you give him the best seat in the house or her the best seat in the house? Why do you do that? Don't you know that it's the rich person that is mistreating people and using people not loving people, and it's the rich person that is dishonoring the name of God, the noble name to which you belong? Like, why are you doing? So he's talking about rich people. And again, in that day, there were rich people and poor people. There, were, there was no middle class. And so James has in mind, as he's writing to these Christians, don't be captivated by rich people. Like, why do you want to become like them? Why are you envying that? Again, he's not against riches. He's against people that have done things to other people to get those riches. So he says, now listen, you rich, rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. James wants the Christians to know, hey, don't envy rich people because there's a day of misery coming. James says, you know that pile of stuff they have? Their wealth, their coins, their clothes, that same pile of stuff, they're not taking it with them when they die, but they're going to see that pile of stuff again. It's going to be exhibit A on the day when the just judges. 
That stuff is the victim statements of all the people that they have used to get it. They've hoarded it. It's not going to be shiny in that day. It's going to be worthless. He goes on to say, verse 4, Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You not only have wealth, but you've gotten it at the expense of other people. And before a just God, that is not a small thing. God calls people who have power and money to use it for good, not to take advantage of people. There's coming a day, James says, when there will be justice. I was thinking about this this week, about those unable to do anything. Notice their cries reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. In that day, there was nothing these poor people could do. People were, their, their employers, those who worked for them, they were being taken advantage of. And in that day, uh, Lord, give us today our daily bread. You, you worked each day to eke out a living so you could have something to eat at night. And a lot of them didn't even have that. They were being taken advantage of. And those cries of those who are unable to do anything have reached the ears. Notice not just of the Lord, but the Lord Almighty, the Lord who has power. Uh, this week, I uh, made a phone call. Uh, I, uh, a little while ago, got uh, two little samples for my wife. I thought I'd be a hero. Two little samples of something, free shipping. Uh, sorry, fr- uh, they were free. Uh, they were trial, and they were free, but you had to pay for the shipping. So it was like five bucks and five bucks. I'm like, oh, that's a nice little gift. From I'm going to get that. So I got the packages in the mail. And about a month later, my wife says to me, um, on the MasterCard, there's a statement of $186. Do you know what that charge is for? I said, I don't know. A few weeks later, another charge for $181. I don't know, but we need to find out. That's like $370. So we found out that it was connected to these free samples. But I guess I didn't look at page 77 that said in the small print, you're going to be a member. And so I called. And it was like, like even if there was a membership, I didn't get anything for 100 and whatever I said, $86, $181. Like, there was nothing that came in the mail. Like, that's my money, and I don't have anything to show for it. Where did it go? So I was like, praise the Lord, I'll make a phone call. <laughs> Lord, help my speech be compatible. So I got the guy on the phone and I said, this money, what happened here? And he explained, and then I said to him, my cries have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You can't do that. Actually, I didn't say that. But I said, I'd like my money back. And so... He canceled our subscription. He says, oh, you got to, you know, follow up with this email and make that request. And I'm hoping, you know, I'm going to do the email and hope I'm going to get my money back. But what about those who are unable to get their money back? I thought of seniors. There's been seniors who have been swindled 
out of their savings, not $370, but thousands of dollars. And what about the people who have been displaced and lost their homes and lost everything by others taking advantage of them? That's no small thing to the Lord Almighty. And the Lord Almighty says they may not be able to do anything about it because they're powerless, but I've heard them. And then James continues to talk about those rich people who have no thought of God. He says, verse 5, you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. You're like the cow just grazing in other people's fields, eating all the food, not realizing that the day of slaughter is coming. No clue that there's a God that you're going to give account to. No clue that there's a future, a day of misery, where they will be judged by a just judge. And by the way, if you subscribe to the atheist worldview, I would encourage you to look at science where it's moving and the facts of science because it's pointing more to a creator and look at archaeology because it's confirming what scripture has said all along as we continue to see more and more discoveries. But if you hold to the atheist worldview, please remind yourself that ultimately there is no day of justice. In fact, there's no right and wrong. You can't make a case for right and wrong with the atheist worldview. So in other words, all these people that have been swindled, all these people that have lost their homes, all these people that have used power to take advantage of other people, they're just getting away with it. And they will get away with it. But James says, no, there's a day of slaughter coming. Just a reminder to us that when God gives us in his sovereign hand things and money, we're not to hoard them. We're blessed to be a blessing. And we're to make money the right way, not taking advantage of people. And just, I just want to say this too, that creates a little bit of a tension. So for example, that you and I as we work, we're to be generous with our money, but at the same time we have to take care of our family, think about the future. So there's a tension there. Same thing if I run a business, right? I've got a board of directors or I've got people investing and, and they want to return on the dollar, but yet on the other hand, I want to take care of the employees. So there's a tension there. But as followers of Jesus, what James wants us to know is our heart is to be for other people, ultimately. Now he says this as we, he then is going to transition to talking about those um, who are being taken advantage of. Notice at the end of verse 6 he says, that they're not opposing you. In that day, again, the poor had, there, there was no recourse that they had. There was nothing they could do about it. They would just go to work even though they weren't paid the day before and hope that this day they might get a little bit of, of money to get food. They had no recourse. Now, as followers of Jesus in our day, uh, there can be times where we can resist the right way. Uh, if you're in a relationship um, that you need to set, it was someone that's taking advantage of you. You need to set boundaries. You may uh, ask for someone to intervene. You may have to step back from the relationship. But the context here is that when you have done all you've can, you can, you're still called to do what is right. Don't do what is wrong. 
And so James wants to say to those of us that have been taken advantage of or being mistreated, there's a sovereign God that you're in relationship with, a just God, and make sure you respond the way he wants you to respond. So let's look at how we're to respond. James continues in verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Be patient. Don't take things into your own hands. God's in control. You're not. Don't do what is wrong. He says, like the farmer who has to wait for the rains that are out of his control, you, even though you're being mistreated and there's injustice, you wait for the Lord's, notice, coming. That history is moving somewhere. History is linear. There's coming a day, the day of the Lord, the second return of Christ. You keep being patient and doing the right thing. And then he says as well that you would stand firm. And that stand firm has the idea of taking heart, taking courage. In other words, you probably will be mistreated throughout your life or taken advantage of. We live in a fallen world. But rather than being shocked, as Peter would say, as like a a fiery trial has come upon us, we're surprised. No, realize that that's going to happen. But stand firm. Don't quit. Don't be like, oh, God, you allowed this to happen to me. This relationship broke up and this whole thing. And so I'm not going to church anymore. I'm not praying anymore. You didn't come through for me. No, James says, realize there's going to be times you have to stand firm, that you are patient. You continue to do what is right. So James is reminding all of us today that mistreatment does not give us a license to sin. If you're in a relationship and someone has mistreated you, you may have to do something, like I said, step back or create boundaries, but you do not have the right to get back at them. Well, they started it. Well, they this. No, you're a follower of the one who is sovereign and just. You do right, and you entrust that person to the Lord. And it's not just James that tells us that we respond to mistreatment by being patient and continuing to do what is right. But Paul says the same thing in Romans 12. He says, do not repay evil for evil. He says, do not take revenge, but leave room for God to work. God's gone on record as saying, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And Paul will say, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So even though someone is mistreating me, I'm still to have the right response. And it's hard. That's why we need the help of Jesus to help us through his Holy Spirit. Peter says the same thing. When you're being mistreated, 1 Peter 2, get your eyes on Jesus. When, he was, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges, what's the word? Justly. Nobody gets away with anything with God. For people that um, aren't Christians, there's coming a day of judgment. But what about the people who are Christians that are doing things wrong? Well, their sins are covered, but there's always a price to pay when we mistreat others. So if a Christian says, I'm just going to mistreat this other person, they can mistreat the other person, but God's not going to give them his love, his joy, his peace, all of his fruits, his favor. He can't because he's God. He can't 
let someone sin and say, I just want to bless you. So every time you mistreat someone or take advantage of that person, you always lose. So James is saying, if someone mistreats you, be patient, stand firm. And notice there, because the Lord's coming is near the end of verse 8, that near was James, did he get it wrong? I mean, that was 2,000 years ago. Did Paul get it wrong? Did Peter get it wrong? Did Jesus? Talked about his, his uh, coming being imminent with all his parables. Like, it's been 2,000 years. In the grand scheme of God's story, his coming is the next event on the calendar. God created the world. God gave us a free will. We sinned. God worked through a nation to a person, his death and resurrection. And the next event on God's calendar is Jesus' second return. That's what's coming. Not sure of your view of future events. Some of us hold at Woodside to a view that when Jesus comes, he's coming and, and, and he's going to usher in the new kingdom. Some others of us hold that Jesus is coming uh, for his saints and then with his saints. Either way, Jesus and his return is the next event on the calendar. It's near. And then John, uh, James says, uh, be patient and stand firm and then don't grumble. Verse 9, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. And at times when we're in dire straits and someone's oppressing us, sometimes we get frustrated and we take it out on those around us. And James is saying, don't take it out on other Christians. Don't grumble again. Be mindful of God, his sovereignty, and his justice. And then he gives us this picture to remind them that there will be a day of judge, justice. He says, the judge is standing at the door. It's a, it's a picture of the day of vindication. Can you picture this? A judge in his attire, and he's got his hand on the doorknob, and he's just about to open the door, enter the courtroom, and deal with injustice. James says, there's coming a day, and the Lord, he's got his hand on the door, and he's coming to deal with what's happening right now in Ukraine. He's coming to deal with what ha is happening right now in, in, in um, Afghanistan, in North Korea, what's happening in Iran. Nobody's getting away with anything. The judge, he's coming. Okay? So we're called to be a light in this world, to work for justice, to advocate for those who can't speak. But we don't have to do it in a wrong way. We do it the right way because ultimately there's a judge who will take care of everything and set things right. And then James will continue. Hey, you be patient. You stand firm. Don't grumble. And then be mindful of the Lord. Look what he says. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. The Lord is still at work. Think about the prophets. Isaiah speaking the word of the Lord People didn't like that. They persecuted him. Tradition says he was sawn in two. Think of Jeremiah, another prophet who uh, was thrown into a pit. He was known as the weeping prophet. And yet Jeremiah, just like Isaiah, was faithful to God. Stephen, in fact, when he was being persecuted uh, in, Acts, in the book of Acts, he says to those persecuting him, persecuting him, 
Uh, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? In other words, just one after another, persecution, persecution, but yet those prophets were faithful to God. James says, think of them. Think also of Job, and they would have known the story of Job, who lost everything, who lost most of his family, and then lost his health, was told to curse God and die. Yes, he had his ups and downs. Yes, he had his doubts with God, but in the end, he was faithful to God. Though he slay me, I will still trust him. He's worthy of my trust. He's working out his decreed plan. I don't understand it, but I will keep doing what is right. I will keep trusting him. And James reminds him, remember what the Lord finally brought about. Again, that's, that phrase there has to do with God's sovereignty. He's in control working out his plan. And then he closes with this, above all, sometimes as you're reading in the Bible, above all means, hey, this is the most important thing. At other times, that above all is a transition into kind of like these are my final thoughts, and that's what, how James uses it here. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. So when things are really hard and people are taking advantage of you, your tendency might be to use dishonest words. Don't speak dishonest words. And also the idea is careless. Don't speak careless words like, I swear to God I'll do this if this happens. No, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. You should be known for your honest speech. And just a note here, this doesn't mean that we can't take an oath in a courtroom. You know, I can't put, you know, say take an oath because it says right here in the Bible not to do it. No, we can. What the idea here is, is I can put my hand on a Bible in a courtroom and say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. I can do that, but I do it with the sense with, I'll do it for you in this court, but I really don't have to put my hand on the Bible because I'm always going to speak the truth. My yes is a yes, and my no is no. So James says, speak honestly, even though you find yourself in a difficult situation. So here's our text this morning. James reminds us that the sovereign Lord who is controlling history, your life, you're not in control, he is. He's coming back. There's a day of judgment coming. He will be just. There's an expiration date on all the injustice we see in our world. Nobody's getting away with anything. And he will mete out justice. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you won't be judged for your sins. But for many, it will be a deliverance from the evil that's been done against them. And James, like Peter and Paul, calls, they call us, not simply to not mistreat people, but if we're mistreated, to keep doing the right thing, to be patient, stand firm, don't grumble, speak honestly, and be mindful of the Lord. And this week, I thought of the prophets, and I thought of Job, but you know who else I thought of? I thought of the African-American uh, slave spirituals. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but years ago, with the slave spirituals, you read these songs, these gospel songs, and you will find this, their stories about family being taken from them and being abused and being beaten, and they were all connected to the Lord's coming. They were mindful of the Lord. He's coming. He will set things right. And that, too, is to be our attitude. God knows what we are going through, so the question is, will you keep doing the right thing.